Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to talk about what we do when we realize that we've blown it. Let's get started. Everyone who had condemned her to death was gone, but there was Jesus riding on the ground. Surely, a stillness permeated the place so completely that no one dared to break it. Disciples probably looked on from the background, mouths agape. Did she dare approach? She was guilty, and everyone knew it. She knew it. The mob had departed, but incredibly, she remained. Nothing prevented her from running away. No one forced her to face the teacher. Did her feet shuffle? Was her mouth dry? Did her heart race? Just one word from the man before her and she would have been brutally executed earlier. He had not defended her or dismissed her guilt, but rather put it in the proper perspective. What would he do now that the threatening crowd had dispersed? Uh, You can see this story in John chapter 8. How many would come that close to death and then stick around to face the conclusion of the matter? Yet this woman waited. Why? You know, faced with the painful, humiliating reality of personal sin, we all react in different ways. In Matthew 26, Peter wept bitterly. In Luke 18, The humble worshiper in Christ's parable said, Standing afar off, would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In Romans 7, Paul exclaimed, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Isaiah 6 says, Woe is me, this is Isaiah speaking, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. In Genesis 4, Cain barked, Am I my brother's keeper? In Acts 1, we find out Judas hung himself. In Genesis 3, we see that Adam passed the buck. In 2 Samuel 12, we see that David confessed. And in 1 Samuel 13, we see that Saul, King Saul, made excuses. Basically, though, our reactions show that we all fall into one of two camps, the children of light or the children of darkness. You see, men love darkness, spiritual darkness. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's John 3, verse 19. On the other hand, the children of God love light, for they are children of light. Galatians 3 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. In this life, however, both camps fall short. Some less than others, nevertheless, both miss the mark. Now, wherever the light of life shines, 
it exposes, Ephesians 5.13, when it exposes sin in our lives, we react to it based upon, a get this, how we perceive God. And we perceive God based upon our relationship to him. So how does the light shine? Most of us as believers are not confronted with sin directly by other people because our contemporary concepts of church participation focus us on teaching or preaching and musical worship to the exclusion of other things that come in authentic pastoring. We so much want to be in unity that we can tend to dismiss the notion of correction as an endangerment to that goal. And it's true that high-minded criticality will drive wedges between people, but in some cases we've swung the pendulum so far to the extreme that wayward believers are rarely confronted lovingly with their error on a personal basis. Consequently, we need to listen individually even more closely to the voice of the Holy Spirit within as he brings conviction of sin. Now, notice I did not say condemnation. For the believer, there is no condemnation from God, but rather conviction and correction. Now, all of this is important to us because we live in the Christian culture characteristic of Laodicea. See Revelations 3. Observably, the large majority in this culture are spiritually, quote, neither cold nor hot, just like those Laodiceans, and by comparison to the church throughout the ages, have the sad distinction of acting like we are, quote, rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, again, like the Laodiceans. We are coddled in country clubs that we boast of as churches and experience the Christian life not as much more than a buffet of choices focused fundamentally on personal gratification. And the sad thing is that we are typically blind to it. The result is that many have left Jesus outside knocking and don't realize it. When some audacious preacher has the temerity to tell us about our condition, the real condition, even in the most cautious terms. The spiritually offended will go find another buffet at which to dine, a more amiable country club, a more interesting essay to read. You may think I'm being harsh, unfair, overly this or that, but we are in this soup, if you would, together. Like Lot's children, when he tried to warn them, you may think, I'm not to be taken seriously. You may think, oh, I'm not a sinner like this woman was who was taken in adultery. If so, you've missed the point. For indeed, you are, and so am I. On the other hand, you may be standing with me, and like the woman in our story above, before the Lord, ashamed, exposed, unworthy of his defense, If you are truly hanging with me on this, it is likely because you know you're guilty. You also sense that the one whom you're facing will not condemn. Oh, we could run away. We could try to hide from the awful truth. This woman stayed to hear from her Savior. She stayed to look into his eyes 
in Noah's heart. When he said, quote, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She may have been hanging her head. But when she replied, quote, No one, Lord. You know, I'm very much inclined to envision her eyes finding his in hope. The light was shining, and she was bathing in it. Jesus washed her with these words, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Several commentators note that the Greek word used earlier for without sin, when Jesus answered the accusing mob, can mean without the same sin. And whether it was the same type of sin or simply sin in general, the others knew that they were guilty too. They had dropped their stones and walked away. Confronted with the fact of their own personal sin, they did not stick around. The light was too much for them. They retreated into their beloved darkness. Interestingly enough, this story was not read in the early Interestingly enough, this story was not read in the early churches generally. It was even left out of most early Greek manuscripts. William Hendrickson writes, quote, Augustine definitely stated that certain individuals had removed from their codices the section regarding the adulteress because they feared women would appeal to this story as an excuse for infidelity. Asceticism played an important role in the sub-apostolic age. Most generally, contemporary commentators deal with John 8, 1 through 11, even though the new paragraph mark begins with verse 13. Now, divisions of paragraph magnitude were the first punctuation marks that were added into the New Testament texts. So the assumption that this story ends with verse 11 is not based upon something provided by the author in the original language. In fact, early manuscripts place John 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11, in several places. Those placements, however, cannot be given any more legitimacy than the complete exclusion of the passage. I'm inclined to believe that the text in John 8, from verses 1 through 20, represents a single passage pertaining to what happened as Jesus was teaching in the temple treasury. Notice it begins and ends with those comments. Having said that, it seems that to those who were watching this whole scene aghast, he continued, he said, quote, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The word he used here for follow means to follow as a disciple. This was likely a general statement, but it could also be that this woman at one point previously had tried to follow Jesus. In addition, he addressed her kindly, using the general term gune. That denotes a woman, usually a married woman, the same word he used to address Mary as mother and other women who distinctively had faith in him. Clearly, we do not know for sure whether that is the case or not. However, she found not only a temporary reprieve from her accusers, but grace. And that is because, contrary to the rest of the sinful crowd, she stuck around. She welcomed the light. In some Christian circles, there is a tendency to hide from the light, 
not so much because of what the Lord will think, but what we suspect men will think. We believe that men will usually want to stone us. But being salt and light in this world has much more to do with honesty and humility than moral purity. To walk in the light does not mean to walk in such a way that everyone oohs and awes at your spiritual splendor or achievements, but that under the guidance of the Spirit of God, you are an open book, not pretending or disguised, but rather transparent and on display. You see, this is the only way people can really see Jesus Christ working in you and through you. This is how they see your good works and, while doing that, glorify God. John wrote, quote, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul wrote, Brethren, if any person is overtaken in a misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, that is, who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an eye, attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. Now, bear, that is, carry or endure one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults, and in this way fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, the Messiah, and complete what is lacking in your obedience to it. This is all from Galatians 6, the Amplified Version, and it concludes, For if any person thinks of himself to be somebody that is too important to condescend to shoulder another's load, when he is nobody, he deceives and deludes and cheats himself. In conclusion, do you love the light even though it exposes? You will if you're born again, when you know your Father and your Savior as you should. His light is wonderfully welcome. It is truthful, but it is life. Don't hide from it. Don't just drop your rock and retreat. Don't follow the crowd. Walk in the light, the shining light of the bright morning star. Hang in there and discover the grace that is in the face of our Savior Jesus. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust Him at all times. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of His grace today.